0: Hi, everybody, Belinda, alcoholic. Uh, thank you, Jason. Um, Bob and I were talking and decided I was going to go first, and I'm um, like, you know, he's got way more spry than me. I'm like, yes, okay, no problem. Um, but I did set a timer um, because I, I, they told me I have three hours. So I want to make sure I stick into that.
1: <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Um, thanks again, committee. Um, you know, we're going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about 10, 11, and 12, and, and um, you know, people call it the growth step, maintenance step. I, I don't even really know what to call it. I just think it's a, a way um, for me to continue this way of life. Uh, real quick, I'm powerless over alcohol. I'm powerless over everything. The book tells me I have no power. There's one that has all power. That one's God. My life's unmanageable. I'm trying to manage my feelings, my thinking, my action, my inaction. I go insane quick. I better get connected to two, some kind of power to make, help me with this thinking mind and the way I act. To move into the inventory process to help me see things from an entirely different angle because I'm focused on the angle of you're wrong. I'm focused on the angle of I have a way and you're not doing it my way. I mean, I have a way about everything. I'm focused on an angle by this belief system that flows in my mind, a belief system that started when I was real young. And, it, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I have become a professional minimizer and disassociator and God. And I think I think I know everything, man. I mean, it just still blows my mind. I think I know how I should be. I think I know how you should be. And thankfully for step 5 or to have spiritual guides that help me see it from an entirely different angle. My mind can't fix my mind with my mind. Self can't fix self with self. And um, I can move into step six to be willing to see what's objectionable to me. And what does that really mean? It's like I live this life. Morals and philosophical convictions galore, and I couldn't live up to any of it even though I would have liked to. The inventory shows me a a better way, maybe. And, and man, I can come up with a good plan. I want to be loving and kind. I want to be the best daughter and the best fiancé and the best AA member. And, I mean, I just want to show up the way God would have me. And I'm incapable. And thank God there's step seven and step eight, because I continue to look at this in nine. And while I'm making amends, the book is real clear on page 84. I gotta, it says in one paragraph four times, I've got to continue this. In fact, it says I've got to continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as I go along and I make them. You know, it says we have entered the world of the Spirit. I've got to continue for a lifetime, not just for a week, not for when I first got sober. It says for a lifetime. And I've got to continue to watch. What does continue to watch mean? I've got to try to stay awake. If you heard me last night, I shared about me and my, oh, telling that artist that's ridiculous for her price. I mean, like, I'm so asleep. I am asleep. And I fall asleep quick. I'm asleep walking around thinking I'm awake, but I'm not. And I don't know I'm asleep until I've been awakened. And once I'm awakened, I'm like, oh, my God, I've been so asleep. And I think step 10 gives me a clear idea of how to try to stay awake. i got to watch for these things. And one of the ways the 12 and 12 talks about the way I watch for these things is the disturbance within me. Oh, I can be in a meeting and you hear old Joe and old Joe sharing something. And I'm like, hmm, right there, boom, I'm disturbed. (laughs) I mean, just like that. The disturbance is within me. No matter what you do to me. If you were here last night, I talked about my dad. It's not about my dad molesting me or so-and-so physically abusing me or sexually abusing me. People, The book says people are often quite wrong. I believe those people were wrong. But the disturbances are within me. And if I want to be in a place of neutrality, like one of the 10-step promises says, that I've got to go within God's deep down within, but i got to go within and clear away the soul sickness. And step 10, 11, and 12 allows me to do that. Um, in fact, the book right here says, you know, it says we continue to watch for, and we can, this is what we're watching for, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And I'm going to give you a little idea what that looked like for me this morning. So I'm sitting there listening to Rachel, and I'm like, oh, my God, she's so good. Oh, my God, I didn't sound like that. Oh, my God, I am so embarrassed. I can't believe, oh, man, I should have said that. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> That's what y'all are working with. I mean, I just can't. I look at Bob. Bob's got like 40-something years. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to, oh. <laughs> But what is that? That's the depths of my selfishness, self-centeredness. All I'm thinking about me and how I'm going to look and I live in the complete opposite of the St. Francis prayer. I want you to love me and I want you to understand me and I want you to forgive me. And the long list of that, it's, that's just how I'm, I'm made, right? And I think step 10 allows us to watch for these things. Because when I realize I'm doing this, I can pause and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> Really, self, self-centered, Belinda. Really, and I'm full of fear. What were people going to think of me? She's way better than me. I mean, I just this constant state of comparison, this constant state of I'm not enough. I'm not young enough, pretty enough, thin enough, smart enough, good enough. But I think step ten allows me to keep on. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you much hope, but this is how you might look when you get. I mean, like. <laughs> <sighs> You know, the mind, just this narrative and this self-talk, and, and it's usually a negative self-talk. And so step 10 and 11, it's not about the, the condemnation or the negative thought life. It's, it's about being able, I mean, step 7 talks about humility, and humility is truthful, and I'm so detached from the truth. I'm either better than you or less than you. I'm always egotistical. I'm one way or the other. And ego is edging God out, and that's how I live my life. This program in Step 10 allows me to watch for those things. And I like right after that because it says when these crop up. It doesn't say if. It says when. That just kind of implies to me it will, and it does for me. And then it says we ask God. By this time, hopefully I have a God of my understanding. And I just want to share with you, and maybe if you don't have a God of your understanding or don't believe, the book says you can choose your own conception of God. And so if you can choose your own conception of God, would you consider maybe wanting a God of love? And if a God of love sounds like good to you, then every time I mention word, just think of love. I'm like how I like how it talks is it's a beginning place and we gotta have the experience and we gotta have a starting point. But right here it says we ask God at once. I know there's a lot of confusion, is it ten step during the day or is it the nightly review and on and on? But Clearly, to me, or what I've been taught, everything I know is what I've been taught (laughs) promptly at once. I mean, right here it says we ask Him at once, not tonight, now. This morning when I'm sitting up there and judging the whole situation, you know, I ask God at once to remove these things, my selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Where am I not forgiving or compassionate and so on? Because I lack the power to remove it. I want, to, if I, I want to do better, man. I want to do better, but I can't make it happen on my own power. So the book right here reminds me that I have to have a God of my understanding. And I just did it because y'all told me to do this stuff. Y'all told me to say these prayers. And somewhere, like we're talk, I'll talk about in Step 11, it gradually became a working part of my mind. How did I sit there and make that happen? I remember you from South Carolina. I mean, from, uh, yeah, hi, sorry. (laughs) I told y'all I was so looking forward to seeing some of the women I met a couple months ago. (laughs) Um, See, self just. um, So I asked God to remove them because on my own power, I can't wish them away any more than I could alcohol. And if I'm applying these things in my life throughout my day, then the 10-step promises happen. I love the 9-step promises. There's promises throughout the big book. But when the tenth step it talks about stuff, this will happen. We find this will happen automatically. We react sanely and normally. The problem's been removed. We have a new attitude and a new outlook. We're placed in a position of neutrality. If you're not feeling the promises of what I'm just talking about, what it says on page 85, maybe consider looking at, are you actively working a tenth step in your life? The promises you hear in the ninth step, but those aren't actively happening. Do you owe someone amends? I can always kind of go backwards a little bit. And so by y'all teaching me this and some people having spiritual consent and calling me out on my stuff and say, you know, somebody says, oh, do you, what do you, do you obsess obsess a lot, Belinda? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just clearly gave you a real short bit of how I do. And uh, she's like, but really, Belinda, do you? I'm like, well, not really. I mean, my God, I, I fall asleep so quick. And the book also talks about a rest on my laurels. Weekends like this, man, I don't want to look at myself. It's, you know, or when I do these big book weekends, these intensive things with small group of women, and bring them through the steps, and we're doing. I mean, it's just intensive work. And by that, throughout the day, I'm not looking at me. And at night, I don't want to look at an 11-step nightly review because I'm tired. I'm done. The book says we rest on our laurels, but we're headed for trouble if we do. What part of this 12-step program can I leave out and stay sober? Or maybe I will stay sober, but will I be happy, joyous, and free? For me, when I actively apply this, I can breathe. That ick on the inside just isn't eaten away at me. My head's not doing like this, and I'm not running around vibrating anymore. Well, I, I still do that because I feed off the energy in this room. I mean, um, but I'm not vibrating in a negative way. It says every day, every day, not some days. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of uh, carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. And again, it's easy to do it when I'm here with y'all. Let me get on the road or get home and all of that. One of the things I didn't mention last night and somebody brought up, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm driven by this belief system I have. I really am. My beliefs are fueled by the fears, the fears are my driving force of life. And what happens is my belief system is going to determine how I feel. The way I feel is going to determine how I act. And that whole cycle is repeated over and over and over. And because I fall short of my chosen idea or my morals and values that I have so graciously set for myself, um, it fills me with guilt, remorse, and shame. And that's repeated over and over and again if I don't get connected to the power. I'm kind of, I am you don't want to hang out with me when I'm like that. Let I me mean, just, that's all I got to say about that. And it said, "Yeah, but these thoughts must—these thoughts." And I'm not talking about the earlier thoughts. I'm talking about the thoughts of the prayer and constantly staying awake and trying to watch. They must go with me constantly. Now they don't. I wish they—I wish they did all the time. And I was this perfect example of a human being, a woman, an AA member. But I'm not. But this is the directions the book gives me. And when I do this, I can breathe. And I can be there for you and for you. And I can be present for what's in front of me. And I think Steps 10 always brings me back to the present moment. Because when I'm sitting up there thinking about how I'm not good as she was or how I'm not as good as Alex was. Because I did that with Alex, too. I just did a 10-step with um, Rachel and I had to do it again with Alex. I'm sure I'm going to do it here in a minute with Bob. I wish that was removed from me. But then I get to get up here and say, hey, this is how I am. <laughs> hmm. But what happens with a step sin, I can get back in the moment. In the moment, I can be present. Because God is in the present. May you find him now. Now is now. Not Now is not later. Now is now. I'm so grateful. and You know. <laughs> Well, then it goes on saying, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. Remember, like, there's one that has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And right here, it's reminding me again, all knowledge and power, not me. The power has all the power. I'm so grateful that I have this sincere desire to form and seek this relationship with God. Step eleven says, Sought through prayer and meditation. I've got to have the experience. It went from a god of my I mean, I grew up with different well, I'll say it, religions in my life. I mean several different ones, right? And um I came in here with a God uh, that I didn't understand. And then I, God told me to choose my own conception. Then I thought I had a God of my understanding. And then I realized, I no, 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 I don't have a God of my understanding. And then it's like I'm back and forth. And, but what I can say is I have a God of my experience. A God of my experience that works for me today. The God of my experience today is not the same one I had yesterday or to, the day before or so on. This as we seek through prayer and meditation to improve this conscious, see that mind. In fact, on page 23 of the book, it says the problem centers in my mind. Any problem I have centers in my mind. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the timer. Okay. Um, so the nightly review, I mean, on page 86, I obviously have talked too much on 10, so I'm going to go real quick. And... Um, one full paragraph, there's a bunch of questions that we're supposed to rev- constructively review our day. The 10 Step's not about beating me up. It's just checking and watching and staying awake for. And that's the same thing as the nightly review. I'm going to watch for where I'm resentful, selfish, dishonest, and afraid. I'm going to see if I'm keeping secrets. It's in here. Now, for me, I've done the nightly review many different ways. The book doesn't say write it. I've had notebooks on the side of my bed. I do it there. An app on my phone, I've done it there. I haven't written it at all. I'll do it in my mind. I've shared it. I've emailed it to my sponsor on a regular basis. I've done it with groups of women that I sponsor to help stay accountable. And then I found I was being dishonest because I didn't want them to all know where I was. I just wanted my sponsor to know. and, And, um... So I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way. I can tell you there was a time I'm telling sponsees to do it and, you know, this is good and send it to me so you can be accountable. I mean, I believe it is work between me and God, but for somebody who's undisciplined like me, I need to stay accountable. And it helped me be truthful with someone. And so this inventory, and I love how there's a prayer at the end of that again. I mean, I really learned how to pray in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And once I make this review, and it's going to be some liabilities and some assets. But I love how it says we do not drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection because that would diminish my usefulness to others. The whole deal here is I'm trying to stay connected to the power so that I can be useful to others. So I can live like the St. Francis prayer talks about. So that I can love you and I can understand you and I can bring you light in your darkness. But I can only do it with that power. And the prayer, like I have to ask God's corrective measures because I don't know. My mind on my own can't come up with it. I mean, I could come up with some good ideas, but, man, I'm I'm often quite wrong. And I like how it says we ask God's forgiveness. That's the only way I won't drift, drift into that worry or remorse or morbid reflection. So um, meditation, man, I, could talk. God, I love meditation. I swear if you want to know anything about it, I will be around the rest of the weekend. Talk to me. I will be happy to share my experience that hopefully it will... Give you the willingness and open-mindedness to try to have your own. The book is real clear. It says, on awakening, I don't know about you, but I go to sleep every night, and I, uh, well, I wake up a lot, but when I actually get up in the morning getting ready for the day, it says, it, in this section of the book, it talks about the mind so much, it uses this, um, we ask God to direct our thinking. That is to be divorced from selfish, well, that it be divorced from selfish, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. That's how i got to start out my day. But it uses in this section of the book, mind, decisions, thought, lot, thought. It's all about the mind. This one, I love this, (laughs) page 87, it says, being still inexperienced. So right there it's telling me that today when I woke up, I have no experience with God. Nine, zero. I I love that. But it says, being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God. (laughs) It's not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. I'm not. And then next it says we might pay for this presumption. And so all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. There's a few ladies in this room that knows me. Liz is one of them. To say or save my ass. I'll get to that in a minute. And they watch me. They see me. They can tell you it shows up in all absurd actions and ideas. I mean, I come up with a good plan. Every plan I come up with is a good one. They don't always work out, but they're good. But it goes on to say, you know, as we go through the day, we pause. Earlier I had to pause because I got carried away when I saw some friends from, you know, I say South Carolina, I forget I'm in South Carolina. <laughs> but um, I have to pause so that I can just get quiet so God can direct my thinking again. When agitated and doubtful, it reminds me that I'm going to be agitated and doubtful. We ask God for the right thought or the idea. I need to keep going back to him. I think this literature teaches us how to pray and meditate. It says the circumstances warrant. We ask our wives and friends to join us in morning meditation. If you sleep at my house, I'm going to tell you, hey, man, I get up. And when I get up, it's going to be about this time. Do you want to do prayer and meditation with me? Or would you like me to go ahead and do it without you? Usually, yeah, they won't. They'll they'll usually always say yes. Um I like the part that says we constantly, so if this is on awakening throughout my day, I'm supposed to constantly, constantly is constantly, remind myself I'm no longer running the show because I constantly think that I am. Humbly saying to myself many times each day, thy will be done. I usually run around and roar through your lives like a tornado because I want my will to be done because I have the way. I have the way. Belinda's way. and stuff. As Belinda sees it. And then it says we are then in much less danger of excitement. I'm like, wait, what? Danger of excitement? Oh, remember that newcomer I told you about? That was some exciting stuff, man. But excitement is dangerous for me, too, because I can just get excited about anything. And it doesn't mean it's a in a good, healthy, spiritual way. But it's reminding me that excitement, fear, anger, worry, and, rem- and uh, self-pity... They're just, uh, they're foolish decisions, and that's just going to get in my way, too. So if I constantly go back to God throughout my day, my life looks better, and I don't have to make so many amends. And this part, it also says, we alcoholics are undisciplined. Oh. So I have to let this God in my understanding discipline me in the simple way the book is just outlined. Imperfectly, I might add. I know Bob said he was going to talk a lot about Step 12, but, you know, I'm one of those people that has been placed in a position that where I can devote a lot of my time to helping other women or be in the service of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm so grateful for that. I don't have kids, I don't have a job, and I have a relationship with a man. And and that, you know, of course, I have family and stuff, but it does. It affords me a little opportunity to be helpful in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember one inventory I had, and I was looking at something, and I, I just know my purpose in life is to help other alcoholics. And this guy that I'm using right now, um, she says, well, what if it isn't, Belinda? It's like, oh, my God. Maybe it's not God's will. Because I can even get fixed on the belief system of what I believe is right. I mean, I still believe my purpose is to help other alcoholics. The book tells me so. Y'all teach me so. But I still want to be open-minded to the possibility that God has another idea. The book talks about, in the, in the chapter, working with others. Actually, from the beginning of the book, through the book, and then the whole long chapter is working with others. It talks about, I mean, like, we've got to be of service, and Bill and Bob, and how they did it, and the importance of that. It says, nothing ensures us immunity from uh, drinking except for intensive work with others. Intensive work. I'm so grateful that I was taught that, and my sponsor was 50 years sober, and she'll call me every now and then. I need a newcomer. She still works with the newcomer. The well, thank you. I almost said something. Boy, that pause was not of me, just to let you know. She loves working with newcomers, and it's beautiful to watch. But in 2018, I mean, I've had several surgeries So sober, pretty many of them. And in, in 2018, I was going to have one that turned into five. I was in bed for most of seven months. Um, I could barely make it to the bathroom, and... Uh, It says, nothing ensures me immunity. Nothing. That means no meetings, no prayer, no meditation, not a sponsor. Nothing ensures me immunity except intensive work with others. But I'm here to say during that time there was no intensive work to others. It was poor me. I wanted to die day after day. Day after day I wanted to die. And I call them my pesky sponsees. I had one, and she's here. She probably saved my life because she would call me and say, I have those men's cards. I'm coming by. And I wanted to tell her, just leave me alone. She came anyway. Thank you. And they called, and they showed up with food, and they stopped by. I wanted to die. Um, Rachel did a, it, shared it beautifully today about the relationship and um, the importance of these guys. And I shared last night. I I just want to be like some of you. I want to be gentle. And I don't want to provide a safe place for people to come to, and I want to be able to share my experience. I got lots of opinions. I got an opinion about everything. But I'm going to try to keep that out of the way, and I'm going to share my experience and go back to what the book says. If you need to make an amends to a kid, I don't know. I don't have a kid. Let me find you someone that did that. I think I have all the answers, but I don't. When we talk about don't leave before the miracle happens, if you haven't sat with another alcoholic and watched their life change as a result of this work, and oh my God, it's one of the most beautiful things to watch them help others. And then come to you and say how excited that they are. There's no high like it I've ever experienced. And I believe that's the miracle you should not miss. I, um, I'm blessed to sponsor some women and Rachel said it too, is they do more for me than I ever think that I can do for them. But a lot of times, um, What I found with women I work with and some that have a couple of decades of sobriety in there and they when it's it's sad to hear that they don't feel like they're good enough to sponsor. The truth is I'm not good enough. But if I clear away the ick on the inside, stay connected to the power, it's the power that works through me to love you.
1: Thank
2: you, and I know Bob will kill it. Thanks y'all. Thank you. I'm Bob, an alcoholic. I have a home group, it's the Connected Arts group in Las Vegas, Nevada, and if you go there, the members of that group know I'm a member because I have jobs there. I have a sponsor who knows they're my sponsor, because if your sponsor doesn't, isn't sure they're your sponsor, they're probably not. <laughs> it, isn't that right, Ray?
1: <laughs>
2: oh. And I have a sobriety date, and that's the date from which I've been free of all alcohol and any, any, anything I ever use to medicate my abstinence. And that's October 31st, 1978. And that's uh, my personal best, actually. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to go with this, but I'll tell you, something popped into my mind. It's, there, there was a psychiatrist back in the 50s who helped worked with Bill Wilson. And he was a very astute guy. And he said a couple things that, uh, that I've taken to heart. He said the alcoholic must have ego reduction in depth. And some of that is, re- is reprinted in A.A. comes of age. And he's gave, he gave a talk at our international. He's quoted a lot. And, and I get that. Chuck Chamberlain, who is my sponsor's sponsor, and I had my first five, six years of sobriety, I'd hear Chuck every chance I could. And Chuck said one time, "If it wasn't for the ego, we wouldn't even need AA. We'd just quit drinking, right? It's just the clamoring of something we don't even know is there. But it, and if you don't know it's there because it talks to you, and it talks to you in your own voice. That's the trick. <laughs> that's the trick right there. And so that's not ego. That's me, and and I'm right." Um, so, and then he said, he then Tebow talked about the amazing recuperative powers of the alcoholic ego. Man, I'm telling you, if you haven't suffered your the resurgence of that in your sobriety, I don't. I everyone I know that's sober over 20 years has hit hit these second and third and fourth surrenders because the ego grows back like a bad tumor just comes back. It, it I think this 12-step process is very much like flushing a toilet and all the water empties out from the tank and then you can bet immediately I'll start filling up with me again, right? Cuz that's the nature of a chronic spiritual malady. And so we start to the step process and we we're, we're confronted with this with a couple of propositions, one is we can't manage our own life sober. Matter of fact, my life's more unmanageable sober. I'm crazy, and I'm in this bondage, this bondage of self. And I, I, I see so many similarities uh, between ego and, and self-centeredness and self uh, that. I'm colorblind to the subtle differences, if there are any, I don't know. But I know I'm in the bond I'm egocentric as Bill likes to call says we like to call it nowadays. And so I enter into this process, I clear out a whole bunch of stuff in step four, five. I start realizing as I process all my judgments, which is they trick you into in the fourth step, in the writing down, they, they call it resentments. It's really your opinion about people list, right? It's your opinion list. Which is that, What does the ego do? That's what it does. I mean, some of us burn our lives to the ground drinking. We come into AA and the first thing we get back is our opinions, you know. Oh, uh, so we we, we, we we look at all these resentments, these opinions, judgments, And then the book says we had to look at it from an entirely different angle and walks us through this thing and this was our course, this two-part realization. If you do it in your innermost self, I'm telling you, if you do it, You'll look at everything in your life, and you were wrong about your mother, and you were wrong about your father, and you were wrong about your. You ex- just and it's almost like that scene in The Wizard of Oz when they throw the bucket of water on the witch. I'm melting, you know. It's just ego reduction at depth. but it comes back. And so, uh, I go through. I go. I, I, I. A step that I've never been too far away from six. I think six is the real surrender. Very difficult to do. Entirely ready. I'm entirely ready to have God remove the consequences of a lot of this stuff. <laughs> and uh, and then we make the amends, and the amends is, is dramatic. Every every time I face someone, I was terrified to face. My trust in Alcoholics Anonymous, my trust in my sponsor and my trust in God got stronger, got stronger. And then I get to step 10. And by the time I, I get to, my first run through the steps, and I've been through them many, many times now, spiritual giants don't have to do that. Uh, but I leak a lot, you know. If I, if, you know, Wilson, thank God Wilson said no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence, so I go back through the steps every few years. Because it's more than a tenth step can handle. It's a, it becomes, and I've, I've come up with amends and resentments from the past that weren't on previous inventories. As you as you wake up, you peel the layers of the onion off and more is disclosed. And so I get to step 10, and I get to step 10 with a lot of knowledge. And I never, if you would have told me that the steps are going to reduce my ego and build it at the same time, I wouldn't have believed you. And yet what my ego always has fancied, that it will find power and significance in knowledge. I came out the backside of a lot of that with a lot of knowledge. I I was a big book. I was one of the first big book technicians. I'm I'm ashamed to say that, actually. I would go to meetings and correct people on how they're not sharing properly about a certain step. You know, I I was that guy. I was, you know, I, ah, Jesus. And so uh, I, I guess my, my first my my, first, my sponsor wanted me to start doing step 10, and I, I yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. But if you would have watched my position and my actions, you would have easily come to the conclusion that to Bob, step 10 says, we continued to take personal inventory, and if he was ever wrong, he would promptly admit it, right? <laughs> right? And, and so I'm missing a lot here, and then you know you get in the pain you get pain in sobriety is the re- return of the ego of self and you start to fill up with yourself again as as a lot of us do, not because we're bad people, it's the chronic nature of the spiritual malady. and I, I started taking step ten a little more seriously, uh, but I didn't know i, I... Wilson's so br- brilliant. I don't know. It's so insightful. I don't know how in 1939, 38 and 39, he knew that so many of us, all these years later, are going to have difficulty with this because as a result of sobriety, we're going to get big, huge lives. And when you have a big, huge lives and you're running a company with a lot of employees or you've you got kids and you got commitments and you got the phones ringing, you get 60, 80 phone calls a day from sponsors, you got a big, huge life and something comes up that you really should stop and do the five things in the book and you'll get to it. You know what I mean Did you ever get that that's a terrible thing to say to yourself i'll get to it, which means I'm not gonna do it and and so I'll get to it and then what happens is it builds up it's like it's like it's like sticking stuff under the rug it, you get a lumpy rug that'll trip trip your ass up a lot right so i'm st- I'm doing that and not not realizing it and then i I started to realize well when do I When do I pause? When do I stop and do those five things? And many in the early 50s, with more experience in Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill wrote something in, in Step 10, in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, that is the road sign. And he says it's a spiritual axiom, which means something true under all conditions. It's a spiritual axiom that when I'm disturbed at all no matter what the reason no matter what the cause bob there's something wrong with you you need some correction here and the disturbance and i and here's one of the things i took me a while to realize excitement is a disturbance i mean do you ever notice that how excitement uh Always lead. Well, I'm excited because I think I'm going to have some fun. Do you ever notice how trouble always starts out looking like fun? (laughs) So when I'm disturbed at all, no matter what the cause, it's time you got something to do here, Bob. You got got to call your sponsor. You got to try to identify what is it? Is it resentment? Is it selfishness? Is it about you again, Bob? Is it it fear? Is it dishonesty? It's not really dishonesty if there's a little bit of truth in it, is there? I'm not dishonest. I'm creative with reality. You know, I have a little bit of literary license. I mean, isn't that? That's not terrible. And it's dishonest. And so uh, I do that so I can... uh, of maximum service and and then I got to step 11 and I didn't do step 11 out of the book unfortunately for probably 20 years but I did a lot of stuff you know I was you know I grew up in meditation I I was I went to transcendental meditation I went to divine light mission Guru Maharaji I I found truth in in seeking the light I did all kinds I did Raja yoga I, I did The Lion, I did all that, I did a lot of stuff. And so I get to the big book, and the fir- it says, We're going to give you some definite and valuable suggestions about prayer and meditation, step 10. First thing it starts is an inventory process. And here's the problem with people like myself that you've become egocentric and you don't know it. Egocentric people. Don't follow any directions that they don't agree with.
1: <laughs>
2: so for 20 years, I didn't I didn't use I didn't do step 11 out of the book. I did a lot of stuff. I mean, I I did course in miracles for a while. I did that. I'd still do this to this the prayer Saint Francis this thing today to this day I use I am the place where God shines through him and I are one not two I need not worry fret or plan he wants me where and as I am and if I could be relaxed and free he'll carry out his plan through me I've used that I explored churches I this is really amazing but the church of my childhood I went back there it had changed (laughs) i 'd probably go there to this day if they let me share once in a while I mean you know I... <laughs> no that's a that's a spotlight on my ego right there i'll tell you <laughs> and so I discovered that Wilson in the twelve steps twelve tradition says that this self examination is a part of step eleven uh, it's to, It's designed to mix with meditation and prayer and our description of of what the book says in step 11 about meditation is really more along the lines of contemplation. If you look at Emmett Fox's description of the three vehicles to God. But regardless, when they're mixed together, Wilson says that this is not about relief anymore. It's about creating a unshakable foundation for life. I need that. I don't need any more relief. I'm a relief junkie. I don't need more relief. I'm like when it comes to relief sometimes, I'm like the rat. I don't want any more of that cheese. I just want out of the trap. <laughs> I'm a relief seeker. Because that's what selfish people do. We seek we seek to feel better. We seek the relief. We seek the freedom from discomfort. And so I I started doing that and uh, start you know, I do I do two hours every morning. Now not all that's prayer and meditation. It's also considering the plans for the day, uh, looking at what's on my plate. How am I going to bring God into this? i got people to call back, I say, you know, etc. Et you know, every day is like that. Um, but it, it's a better, when I started doing the two hours in the morning, I think the greatest thing about that, it's not what I do in the two hours, it's that I give that time to my recovery. It's it's a demonstration in a busy life of something that's important to me. All right. So I do that. I want to talk a little bit about step 12. I, I think it's why do we do all this? One of the differences between the, the step 11 process in the big book and all the other things I did, uh, the, the 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 visualizations, the breathing exercises, the 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 chanting, all of it, is that those things are great, but they're self-serving. They're designed for me and my well-being to be better. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we're doing all of this so we can be more effective. Matter of fact, everything we do in AA is to serve the end of step 12. The third step decision is... Take away these difficulties with this bondage yourself for one reason. So that victory over them would bear witness to those they would help. And I'm asking God to take away, not everything, but to take away the things that stand in the way of my usefulness. That Alcoholics Anonymous is trying to take a selfish, self-obsessed, self-serving, self-focused, self-absorbed guy like me, who's just full of himself, and turn me, empty me out of me, and continue to empty me out of me so that I can be a servant. That's the highest you get here. Look at the second tradition. It's the only organization on the planet where you can come in a big shot and work your way up the servant. I mean, that's, it, there's no place like that except AA. And it is, Wilson refers to it as our primary purpose. Which is, is very different because I came here with a primary purpose as I suppose you did. What's your primary purpose, Bob? Me, me, my relationships, my finances, my job, what you think of me, me, and me. And you guys are saying, do that, that thing in the prayer of St. Francis, Bob. You've got to forget yourself, set yourself aside. Don't be such a selfish guy. Set yourself aside and serve a greater and more noble purpose than you. And that's helping God's kids. A purpose that, when you think about it objectively, I've been more divinely crafted for that than anything. And I, I ran a huge company, made millions and millions of dollars. Nothing. I am divinely crafted to help people that are sick like I'm sick who struggle with self-centered fear way into their sobriety as I have and do who struggle with this bondage of self in their sobriety as I do who can who couldn't even see any of this stuff when I got here because the blinds were drawn and people in AA introduced me to me they you introduced you, you shared about you And you introduced me to me. And so I'm divinely crafted by my mistakes, by my failures, by my defects, to be amazingly useful. Matter of fact, if you're new here, I I can promise you something. You stay in this thing. The worst thing about you, the thing that you've swept so far under the rug, you don't want anybody to know about, will become a useful tool in your future when it comes to helping people if if you buy your primary purpose and you try to set yourself aside w- Wilson in his story said something that was very very astute I think it's brilliant he said unless the alcoholic can perfect and enlarge his spiritual life and it's not through what you would think it's not through prayer and meditation even though prayer and meditation are vital it's through self-sacrifice constant thought of others. Their needs and how it can work for them. It says that a couple times in the book. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers spend on a constant thought of others. Who did they write that for? Alanots? Constant thought of others? I mean, oh my God, how can you do that? I mean, I'm not wired that way. And and yet and not truly, truly, I am I'm uh my default position is me and self. But if you'd follow me around, you'd see that a big, big piece, most of my life is dedicated through through my actions, not my intentions, not my feelings, but through my actions to serving. I'm on the phone all the time. I sponsor a lot of guys. I do two to three hospital and institution panels a week and I've done that for over forty three years. Non stop. No, so throw money. Throw money. Throw, throw money. Uh I'm, I'm on committees. I do I do this service and I've also my first sponsor said you just you want you do it all. And there are people that try to talk me on it. Oh you don't want to be a GSR. That's political. I spent nine years in general service. I got to tell you, I learned more about AA and more. T- I learned how to. Re- you, you will fall in love with whatever you serve, and you'll continue to be in love with whatever you serve. So you want to? You have people in your home group that seem to be in love with Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're missing the boat. Become a servant here. Get get jobs in Alcoholics Anonymous. The, the more inconvenient. The better.
1: Oh, the better.
2: I hope you're prepared to be, as my friend Larry says, to be divinely inconvenienced. I think in, in spiritual coinage, there's a, there's a, you, the, high, the higher the inconvenience, the greater the spiritual coinage. I mean, if you only do service and things in AA that you feel like doing, I mean, what's different? You've done that all your life. And so uh, we serve here. And I'll tell you, I've learned more about myself and more. I've learned more about this program and helping others. You know, it's like you, you have a feeble attempt to give something to someone. And in the attempt of giving it to someone, you'll get it at a level you didn't have it before. We get what we give here. I was brand new. I was, I, I was maybe a week out of the detox, I guess, and I went this Skid Row club that was the only it was the only a place I felt comfortable because it was right, It was the kind of AA meetings where people would fall out of their chair and have a seizure in the meeting. They wouldn't even stop the meeting; they would just keep talking. You know, somebody would stick a wallet in the guy's mouth so he didn't bite his tongue. You know, it was, it was just one of those kind of places. A lot of, lot of hookers, a lot of drug dealers. I mean, it was just like real skid row. It was on Las Vegas Boulevard in North Las Vegas, one of the worst sections. And there was a, a bottomless, topless strip joint on one side and a pawn shop on the other. It was kind of spiritually nestled in there, you know. And I'd go there. I, and I, When I got out of the detox, I'd start going there a couple times a day because I felt, I felt comfortable there. I didn't feel comfortable a lot of the high-end meetings. Felt comfortable there. And I remember one day, I, I was my first week, a guy comes to this old timer. To me, he was an old timer. He probably had four or five years. I don't know. But he came up to me and he, he said, I need your help. And I, I was all ears. I thought, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I feel awkward. I don't feel like I fit there really. It's like, you know how people on A look clicky? It's like all of them are all together and then there's me. You know, I that, that thing. And he said, I need your help. And I said, oh, yeah, what can I do? He said, well, we get a lot of new people here and they did and he said we need someone who's brand new to make them feel welcome and talk to them and I said oh, I don't know how to do it he said, he said we have been sober a long time the memory of how difficult it is to come to AA and the awkwardness of coming into a room full of strangers has left most of us it hasn't left you yet We need you to go up to those new people and and no profundities. You're not going to take them through the steps. You're going to go up to them and you're going to let them know they're not alone. You're going to go up to them and make them feel welcome and let them know that you know how they feel. And I thought, I can do that. I, I don't have any wisdom. I don't have any, but I can do that. And I'll tell you something. I don't know, truly looking back, I don't know if I ever made one person feel welcome in Alcoholics Anonymous except me. I, that became my place. And you leave the new people alone. This is my job. You know what I mean? Right? It, was like, it lit me up. And I felt it was my first... First feeling with something, a feeling of something I, I, I don't know that I ever felt before, maybe. And I think it's more important than happiness. It's more important than relief. It's more important than anything. And it's the feeling of usefulness. Mark Twain uh, said one time. That the two most important days in any human being's life is the day you were born, and then the day you realized why. You know, the, the big shot in me wants wants to imagine my life as I'm going to do the Nobel Prize or you know all that you know all that grandiosity stuff. But I've been given a very simple and very noble and honorable purpose in my life. And that's to help people like me. A purpose that's selfish, self-absorbed, self-serving people like myself. We don't warm up to that initially. But after you've done it for a while, you'll see that it lights you up. It, it, and it really... If you're new, this will sound so weird, but it's so true. It It intermittently does inside of me what bottles of whiskey that I bought intermittently did inside of me. And what is that? It sets you free. And there's only one freedom and it contains all freedoms. And that's freedom from the bondage of self. I've gone to meetings in maximum security penitentiaries in California where they're full of guys doing multiple life sentences in prison. And earlier in the week, I was at a meeting at one of those high end AA clubs where everybody's driving a BMW or a Mercedes or a Porsche or even a couple Bentley's in the parking lot, you know, and they're in there whining and moping of that stuff. And, yeah, I get good good maid service and you know. <laughs> I'm in a maximum a maximum penitentiary. With lifers who were freer. And they'll never get out of prison. They're freer, they're laughing, they're free because they're free from the bondage of self because they're working with guys in there. They found their primary purpose even in prison. And I, I've i been given this primary purpose, and it's, it's saved my life. I'll, I'll tell you one little quick story. You know, when Wilson says in the beginning of working with others that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics, uh, Mary, Mary Emma is here. Mary Emma and John saved my life when I was 11 years sober. Uh, I went through one of the toughest Patches of road I've been through in my sobriety. I I was married. I was in a relationship for six years. Married for four and a half. Had a two-year-old daughter, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm going through a divorce that I don't understand. And the day after the divorce was final, my uh, wife and daughter moved in with my best friend, a guy I sponsored, and I discovered through the whole. Last year of my marriage, they've been sneaking around having an affair. I can't even put into words how sick that made me in here. I, my life was in danger, and I—I uh, I remember. I remember this like it was yesterday. My daughter, I love my daughter, and I—I I, I think because of my love for her and the connection I made with her in the delivery room, I fought. For my place with her, and and fought to make amends, and fought to do all the stuff that I didn't want to do. That if it would have been for my daughter, I might not have done. Um, but I did, and I uh, I wasn't very. But a couple weeks into this, and uh, my daughter and my ex-wife of just a, few, a little short period of time are living with my sponsee, and I and I finally got enough courage because I could I. Had, legal rights to see my daughter i just didn't know if i had the emotional ability because i had to go over to where they're living together to get her and i, oh, I remember the terrible feelings i had inside of myself going over there but I, but I wanted to see her i had that heartache and those of you who have kids you, you if you don't see them for a long time you get that heartache right and i had that heartache and i uh Went over there, and I parked in front where they, where they lived, and I went up to the door and rang the doorbell, and the frickin' happy cuppy, couple answers the door. You know, oh, Jesus. Why do you have to look happy? I mean, Jesus. There you go. Glad to see me. And they bring Kate out. Kate's the cutest little two-year-old girl you've ever seen. She's adorable. And I take her by the hand, and we go off to... Uh, Spend the day, I had, I had this really cool day planned for her. We went to uh, Chuck E. Cheese. She loved Chuck E. Cheese. Worst pizza in the world.
1: <laughs>
2: and for, you know, for $100, I won her a 10-cent ring, you know, with games and stuff, right? And then we went to a, a, a ranch that was uh, was... The ranch was owned by the people who had the show Legends in Concert. And a friend of mine had kept horses there and, and she invited us over there to to ride and, and play with the animals. They had a lot of animals, big ranch. My daughter loves animals to this day, loves animals. Um so we go over there and we're, you know, we're she's playing with the rabbits and feeding the different animals and she gets to they bring a little Shetland pony out. Now she's only two years old. She's big for her age, but she's only two years old. So she's a little scared. We put her on the Shetland pony because she was love pony. She was pony and Minnie Mouse crazy. And we put her on this pony. We walked her around the corral a couple times, and she just—it was exciting to her. She loved it. And then they, they're taking—we're sitting at this pi- picnic bench, and they're taking the the pony back to the stables. And I'm sitting there with my friend who's involved in the ranch and Kate, and Kate's thirsty. So across the yard. On the wall of the stable is a soda machine, soda pop machine. And I said to my friend, would you stay here with Katie? I'm going to go get some cans of soda pop. And I walked across the yard and got a couple cans. And coming back, I hear the woman who's with my daughter say to my daughter, "Kate, here comes your daddy. And Kate looks at me, looks at the woman and says, that's not my daddy. And she mentioned the guy's name he's my daddy oh, i took my breath away felt like someone stuck a knife up under my rib cage and twisted it i didn't say nothing i, I pushed it pushed pushed it down and i spent the rest of the afternoon with with my daughter and i i, I had to take her home for dinner and I, I take her to pull up in front of the house i take her by the hand walk her up to the door ring the doorbell and I, happy couple answers the door and she jumps into his arms and I walk away and I get in my car and I drive about a block away and I pull over I can't drive I'm coming apart and I'm, I'm sitting in the car on the side of the road and I'm sobbing and talking to God at the same time and what I'm really saying to God is God I love my daughter but I'm not I'm not big enough for this I can't do this. This hurts too much. And I I said, I'm sorry, God, but I can't see her anymore. And I'd made the decision to cut her out of my life because it was too painful. And I looked at the clock on the dashboard, and I had to meet this this knucklehead sponsee down at one of the AA clubs. And I don't want to go meet him. I need to go home and think. You know... (laughs) Truly, that's my natural default position. Let me, let me hole up somewhere and think, you know. But you guys have brainwashed me. AA 101, do what you said you're going to do. Show up where you said you're going to show up. Be early, on and on and on. And I, oh, crap, I, the voices of people in AA in my head. So I race across town. The guy's standing on the sidewalk in front of the AA club. I said, get in the car, and we're going across town to a book study. He's not even in the car a minute. He starts crying. And he says to me, I've been denied by the courts again to see my kids. And I'm looking at his pain. And it was like a postcard from God Dear Bob, there's only one person that can stop you from seeing your daughter, and that's you. And it shifted my whole world, my whole intention. And I'm going to go next week and I'm going to spend a day with her and I'm going to keep doing that. And, uh, <clears throat> and I, she's very important to me. She just she just gave me my first grandson. He's he's beautiful and looked somewhat like me. <laughs> what can I say? And that new guy that I picked up at that club, he thinks I'm helping him. He saved me from me. The helpers get the help here. If if you're if you're sober a while, I, I've been doing a, a thing at, at detoxes for over forty three years. If I run into people almost weekly, not every not every week, maybe, but I long, very frequently who drink again with multiple years of sobriety. There was one guy at had 45 years. Bill Wilson had been his sponsor. And he drank again. I've met people with with 10 years, a lot of over 10, that drink again. And I'm, I want to know. I want to know, because I don't want that to happen to me, I want to know what did they do that they should have done, and what didn't they do that they should have did. And you, you, you'd think... If some of you in the room are probably thinking, I bet you they stopped going to meetings. No. No. I bet you they didn't, they didn't really work the steps. Some, I've seen guys in there that taught the steps. They were big book technicians. Well, they didn't have a relationship with God, evidently. I've seen clergy. I, I, I've seen people that are, pray more and have a better relationship with God than I'll probably ever have. So what's the common denominator with all of them? If you ever do this and you see somebody sober over ten years in a detox, go up to him and say this to him: "Say, I am really, really sorry you're here. I'd like to help. If you'll give me the names and phone numbers of the new guys in their first 60 days, you've been working with, I'll be glad to step up. I'll be glad to to, to contact them and offer to help. They won't give you any names." because their primary purpose has become themselves and they didn't know it and they didn't know it and i know about that i sunk into the one depression i had of any consequence in in 43 years i had it uh, when i was 19 years sober in a year that i made more money had more toys more motorcycles more fancy cars In the midst of a life that I should have been just crying tears of gratitude for having, I sunk into a depression. Chronic dissatisfaction. And I couldn't have told you what. And it was because my primary purpose had become me. I didn't even know it. It, You don't do that overnight, most of us. It's like a glacier-like movement. Slow. You, you cut things out incrementally, one thing at a time. Maybe, maybe now you're. When a newcomer asks you for a ride, oh, I'm just too busy. I got something to do. And you don't even try to find him a ride with someone. Maybe now instead of answering the phones or, or going on twelve step calls, you're you're busy. Like, maybe you say something I've heard guys say. It makes me sick to my stomach. Oh. I've done that years ago. Let the new people do it, right? I've seen uh, during the pandemic because of an in, I had to work to do twelve-step calls. I answered the phones for central office. I found institutions who would still (laughs) let us bring panels in, masked up and socially distanced. But I, I, I'm more, I was more afraid of dying of alcoholism than I was COVID. And I, uh, I found my way, but it was a little more, little more work, a little more effort, a little more inconvenience. But my, it's my life. I've known. I tell you, you can't be sober long enough that you can't get drunk again. And I know guys in the last year that with over 25 years, 30 years. Uh, 15 years that have drank, and I tell you, I, I, I hope, I hope, this isn't true. Some of them die, but the ones that didn't die are they're trying to get sober again. And the progression of this disease is brutal. And what progresses is the ego. did you ever try to talk to someone and help someone who had been 20 years sober and drank again? They know everything. No matter what you say to them, they go, oh yeah, I know, Uh uh-huh, I know, Uh uh-huh, I know. I think what they're really thinking is, yeah, I know, shut up, I don't, shut up. You can't help them. And uh, because their receiver is shut down, it's blocked with ego. And that's what blocks us. When you come here, you've got to be crushed enough to receive help, because we're not people who receive help. We're too self-reliant for that. But if you're lucky, you've been crushed enough to receive the help and follow the directions of a sponsor. And if you're new here, I hope you have a mean, unreasonable sponsor. I hope he asks you on a regular basis to do things. And the minute he asks you, you just go,
1: oh, God.
2: Because he will lead you out of the darkness and into the light. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life. It's given me. It's it's more than that. It's I never had much of a life. You know, I look back at my childhood. My parents were wonderful. I had a lot of love in my life. But when I look at my childhood, the only thing I remember with any clarity is me. That's not much of a life when it's all about you, right? <laughs> I mean, my mother used to try to tell me that. She'd say, you're full of yourself. I didn't just go over my head and go, what do you mean? Of course I'm full. That's just me. You know, I don't... She said one time, you're, you're the center of the universe. You think you're the center of the universe. I was just a little kid. I, I went like this. I went
1: <laughs> I
2: am, Mama. Everything revolves around me. My mother said to me one time, she said, "A person wrapped up in themselves makes a pretty small package." And so if you're, if you're, maybe you're not new. Maybe you're sober a number of years and you don't sponsor anybody. And you don't do service. Boy, if I could do one thing, just one thing this weekend, it'd be to get you to do that. I'll tell you, I, I would. My sponsor pushed me into twelve step work and sponsoring guys before I'd worked the twelve steps, because he knew you got you're on step three start in step four and you've got a guy that you're taking through step one he's breathing down your neck that'll propel <laughs> propel you into the
1: work i mean it,
2: i mean because you know what what would happen if he got ahead of me i'm supposed to be his sponsor for god's sakes <laughs> AA's beautiful it's beautiful. It's the only place on the planet that I can come and you would use my ego to trick me into taking actions I never would have taken
1: <laughs> never
2: I did I used to do stupid 12-step calls. I mean I I'd get a call I was on the hotline I get a call at three o'clock in the morning from some guy. He doesn't want to be sober He doesn't want to go to AA. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He's lonely and he's run out of vodka, for God's sakes. So he's calling the helpline. He's calling alcoholics. So, But he gets me, and I put on my white cape. I find out where he lives, and I rush over there, listening to the tune, the theme song from Mighty Mouse. Here I come to save the day. And, oh, I did more harm than good. But every time I failed, just as Bill Wilson failed in his first 96 attempts, every time I failed, I learned something. Every time I failed, I I tried to see how I could do. I talked to my sponsor about it, and he'd say, "He said, don't you think you should find out first if the guy wants to quit drinking?" (laughs) Well, he called me. You know, I'm gonna gonna quit drinking, or I'll kill him. And I, every time I, I made a mistake, I learned from it. And I tell you, I don't think it's a mistake if you miss taking from the experience. I took from all those experiences. Did some damage, probably. I think, I, I, I shudder to think that there might have been some people in my first year or two of sobriety that I 12-stepped that because of my self-righteousness and BS, they may never come to AA because I was their first glimpse of recovery. I was their first example of the big book and, and the steps and the traditions. And, and I wasn't that good of an example. But it's a, it's a work in progress. Thank you for listening.